Uh, this is Lindsay Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, November 15th. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about the Little Rock School District teacher strike and the latest from the State Board of Education, all the news from the final day of candidate filing, and the firing of University of Arkansas head football coach Chad Morris. That was a year ago, wasn't it? <laughs> Happened on Sunday. Sunday morning. I'm joined as usual by Max Brantley. Hey. So yesterday was the first uh, LRSD teacher strike since 1987. Yeah, and I guess about a third of the teachers uh, struck or sicked out, and uh, two-thirds of the students didn't go to school, and so I don't think there was a real work day. Uh, You know, I, I think a fair question is, what did it accomplish? And... I think it showed there's a great deal of support for teachers in, in the school district. It was not just teachers, it was parents and friends and kids. And But it clearly had no effect on the State Board of Education in terms of how they view the district. In fact, there were further events that showed how little respect they had for the school district. Uh, it gave the, the governor and the Walton finance lobbying forces the opportunity to spin it as a failure because only a third of the teachers participated and two-thirds went to work. Of course, we know a lot of those teachers who went to work did so out of financial necessity or fear of being fired if they didn't go. And I mean, I, I hold no hard feelings against the people who went to work. I, I do admire those who didn't go precisely because they did it at financial costs and they did it at some potential risk, uh, but they felt so strongly that they needed to be out there. But it, it was kind of like before, we said before, I, I'm not sure what what the gains were. Maybe you have thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, there, there's little that they, they could reasonably hope to gain. And I think they probably would acknowledge that. They they did not expect to change the state board's mind. I think the, the best outcome for them is raising public awareness, and they probably can say they did that. And, and, and I thought the most powerful message is both at the state board meetings and, 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 and some other places, but particularly the state board meeting, were those who said, this isn't just about Little Rock. The, the, the state can do this anywhere. And to the extent that there's an awareness of that raised, it's a good thing. And, and Little Rock has has defeated some punishing things in the legislature in the past precisely because other school superintendents recognize there, but for the grace of God, go I. And so that's, I, I think this sharply illustrated just how far some people in the state are willing to go against this school district, well, against any school district. And it hasn't mattered yet, but you have increasingly heard Members of the state board say, "We got to step back. We got to step back." Now they haven't followed up on that. No, but. no, and some of them, like Diane Zook, particularly, and Sarah Moore, particularly, and Chad Peckron, who sends conflicting signals, but at his core, he's really with them. Which is, there are certain things that they don't want to give back to the school district anytime soon, if ever. And one of them is union recognition uh, of the teachers' union. And so, but there were some voices today on what was a relatively minor issue of people saying, well, you know, if we're going to give them control, we really got to give them control. And this was when the board today uh, 
impose the uh, change the procedure for selecting the personnel policy committee, which is a largely toothless wonder anyway. But they voted to expand it from eight to more than forty members because the anti-union Walton-funded Arkansas State Teachers Association thought that it was going to be overrepresented by Little Rock Education Association members who'd organized and nominated people and sent out word about people they'd like to see elected to it. And the election was supposed to start today, and the, the anti-union group complained to Diane Zook, and that was good enough, and she jammed through on a 5-4 vote. This reopening of the process, they're going to have to go through the whole process again. They're going to have to pay the consultant to set up a new process. It'll delay the formation of this committee. Again, uh, I, I think this committee, in the end, is not particularly meaningful anyway but it shows just how far the state board is willing to go in micromanaging the school district. Their representation, Chad Pecron was among those who voted to say let's, let's throw out what we approved earlier and do this different thing because this tiny little anti-union group wants to do it. Well, and this was a how, real... How sincere he is about local control. Yeah, well, the, he was calling in from, from afar and did not hear the entire discussion whether that would have made any difference, we don't know. But uh, this was a real stark illustration of how far some members of the state board are willing to go to impose their ideology because uh, Education Secretary Johnny Key was Even for Johnny the plan. Uh, and and they, they, I didn't say they overrode Michael Poore. Yeah, said, and I prefer the way it is now. Yeah, I mean, the Education Secretary made clear, like, we, we've through the department, through the district, like we've really researched this, we think this is the best form. Oh no, I mean, but really no. it was a great thing. This, you know, they, they have tried to tell us, and the governor's tried to tell us by electing a school board next November, local control will be returned. One of the things they said they're not gonna return is the ability to hire and fire the superintendent, Chad Pecron. Yes, they talked about hiring and firing principals even. But, Which is not not typically the duty of a school board. The school board well, doesn't. They even... extend the contracts, but I mean, they they ratify the the administrator's the choice. Superintendent but, typically, but, picks. yeah, typically the superintendent picks picks the person. But but they said we want to control the superintendent, and furthermore, that that vote yet this morning signifies we're going to tell the superintendent what to do on on anything. Right. If he does anything we don't like, we're going to overrule him. Well, and that was the what happened today was the only, uh, you know, thing that happened. The thing that the state board did that that means anything. They talked quite a bit yesterday, and we heard yet again uh, a lot of rounds of really powerful public comment. Um, and we heard from from Peckron, who said, you know, I didn't like this MOU that came out. Uh, I'd like to put some guardrails on, as you mentioned, but then they have said now they want to have work sessions. So what has been just an interminable process Uh, will continue. And and they're they're just not going to let go of anything that's important to them. And Diane Zook has a whole agenda for this district. I mean, mean, she's going to want to impose some rule on absences by teachers and stuff. I mean, it's... I think that going forward, the real the real question will be is, can she hold a majority? Because it, there are clearly some members who are tired of talking okay. about this. Right. They're tired of Zook. She goes on at length in meetings. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, that that's one potential for LRSD advocates. The, the most single, most hypocritical thing I heard today was after 
Stacy McAdoo, who's the ex-official member of the board, is a teacher of the year and is a Little Rock Central school teacher. She's not teaching this year. And who's been a hero in this life. She's been a hero throughout this. Her father was pretty great yesterday. Father-in-law. Father-in-law was pretty great yesterday. And her husband was pretty great yesterday, too, with his singing. But Stacy made the point that she hates the use of the phrase failing schools. And she particularly hates it because it's based almost solely on standardized test scores. And she thinks, as I think, it is nuts to gauge a child's success or failure based on a standardized test score. And the board, in response to a lot of criticism like this today, said nothing, which is typical. Except Diane Zook popped up and said, well, I just want to say that I agree that, that, that assessing a student based on how a test of that to read something then quickly answer question is is not smart and I agree with you more than you think you know. This is the same woman who took over and insists on still keeping control of the Little Rock School District exactly because of effing test scores. It just, I, it made me want to, I, I don't know, throw something through a window. <laughs> that woman is, she is an aggravation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, uh, the fight will continue. Uh, so, on Tuesday, we had the final day of candidate filing, and there were a couple of surprises. A uh, big one was that State Senator Joyce Elliott, a, a liberal hero, uh, filed again to run for Congress, challenging French Hill. And then the other one was that Josh Mahoney, the, the Democrat, Democratic nominee uh, for, for, or the Democratic candidate to take on Tom Cotton for U.S. Senate, dropped out within two hours of the filing deadline. Yeah. Well, first of all, Joyce Elliott, it's a noble cause. Uh, she only got 38% of the vote in 2010 against Tim Griffin. Uh, she's well better known now, I think. I think her name recognition has ridden, and she's certainly been a hero on education and other issues. Uh, I think she will whip French Hill's butt in Pulaski County, but there's I don't see a pathway, no matter how hard she works, and she'll work hard for her to improve on Clark Tucker's showing in the surrounding suburban counties. They're Trump land and that's going to be hard, but she's going to make the effort. Uh, if she can get above 40% this time, that would be a victory. Uh, Josh Mahoney's withdrawal was, you know, he was not going to win, no matter what. Tom Cotton has a huge bankroll. He's thrown in with Trump. The state, for better or worse, seems to reasonably like Tom Cotton, which is weird to me because he's not a particularly warm and charismatic character, but nonetheless. But it was an embarrassment. I mean, he'd been campaigning. He'd been an active voice on social media. He'd been jabbing Tom Cotton on good issues. And and to drop out like that was, number one, nobody knew it was going to happen. He told nobody before it happened. It was an embarrassment to the state Democratic Party. And then he said, well, I'm leaving for family health reasons. And then he went in communicado. He took down all the social media present, disappeared, won't talk to anybody. And there is a pathway in the law for the state Democratic Party to replace him as a nominee if he moved out of state or if for health reasons. Now, the law doesn't specify his health reasons. He could argue even a family member's health reasons. But he's got to argue it, and he won't come forward to say anything about it. That... This is natural. His sudden departure from the race gave immediate rise to speculation that it had something to do 
with the reporting that the Cotton Campaign had planted with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette about multiple bad financial filings by Mahoney. I mean, it was kind of, some of it was kind of trivial, claiming to be employed by a company that he'd sold a year before, claiming certain, not disclosing some financial stuff. I mean, none, none of it was real big, but it was a lot of errors in public documents that he made. And so there was some, there's been some speculation that somehow it was related to that. Of course, he knew about that all along. I mean, that had been reported a couple of weeks ago in the paper. That was not, that was not news. The further supposition is is that the Cotton Campaign had a lot more where that came from and perhaps far more damaging stuff. There's now from two different sources, I have heard the rumor that the Cotton Campaign, through a surrogate at least, went to Mahoney and said, we got this on you and this can, this can be hard or this can be easy and that suddenly he was gone. Now this is thoroughly un, unsubstantiated stuff, but it is based on the context of there already having been some reporting on irregularities in some of his filings. Well, and he could come forward and clear all this up. No, and all he's got to do is just stand up and say something. And, and you know, I, 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 I hope if he does have a legitimate family health issue, as he said in his very brief prepared statement, that it's solvable, and I wish him the best on that. I, I don't, you know, wish hardship on him but but I mean I think having done having filed for the office and then having quit at the time he did I think he owes the public and the party an explanation he just does I mean Bernie Sanders had a heart attack and they said he had a heart attack and that's just what you do when you're in that position okay well moving on to the the real big news of the week and that was uh University of Arkansas Athletic Director Hunter Yurchak firing Chad Morris after the Razorbacks got just drubbed by yeah. Western Kentucky and their former quarterback, Todd Story. You know, I've tried to avoid football discussions because, I mean, I have my opinions, of course, and, and but I, I don't pretend to be an expert. I'm not one of these radio talk show experts who know better how to coach a team than the guy we were paying $3.5 million to, but... But I did comment after it happened. I was surprised they didn't fire him at halftime. The first half was so dreadful against Western Kentucky. What was it, 35 to 7 at half? It was just, you know, this former Razorback quarterback that he'd run off was just looked like Joe Namath. I mean, he was, he was, he was so, I mean, he was pretty good. Ty Story, he was all right. And somebody jumped me for being so mean about saying that, you know, but, but then, but then that was kind of, that was, I mean, it was, if, if there was ever any doubt, that game, you knew he was gone. Senior and, day at home. Yeah, and so, uh, so I don't, I don't know. You know, I mean, here, here's the thing, and I just don't think Arkansas is situated to be a consistent, big time SEC contender. We're just not. I think at this point we would take being Ole Miss. Oh yeah, like I mean, just we're Vanderbilt. I mean, but, but. Problem, we're we're below Vanderbilt right we're, now. Currently, we're below Vanderbilt. But I, what I'm saying is, we don't ha- we don't have the kind of high school talent that Louisiana or Alabama or Georgia has, or any school in Texas has, or even really Mississippi. When you consider Mississippi is feeding three major college programs: Southern Mississippi, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss, and I mean maybe four if you count their SWAC team. I don't know, but. And so it's going to be hard for us. And when everything falls right and we have some great recruiting and a decent coach, we might hit a run. You know, Bobby Petrino did a little bit. Houston Nutt did a little bit. 
we should have stayed in the Southwest Conference. Unfortunately, it was going away. I mean, the best years we ever had as a run were under uh, Ken Atfield. He had a great record in our last years in the Southwest Conference. I mean, I tallied the figures up the other day. Our record over 30 years is dead at 500. Half wins, half losses. I mean, that's 30 years of mediocrity on average. I mean, that's we're just, and, and we kid ourselves. We're just still thinking it's 1964 and we've got an all-white team and Frank Broyles and our 165-pound guards are as good as you can find. You know, well, it's just, it ain't 1964 anymore, you know. It's it's just not. Well, and Chad Morris's contract was structured in a way that he was the guy to bring us back to glory and we were willing to pay for it. Well, you know, there is beginning to be a move and some very influential quarters in Arkansas, I want to say, in, in corporate level, the kind of people who've been supporters, who are really, and, and I saw the Democrat may have even written a story about it that suggested, brought this up, that somebody has to be the first one that ends these big buyouts for losers. I mean, there, there needs to be a new, that more of a bonus performance. You hired somebody at a pretty good rate, they win X number of games, maybe they get more in the next number of games more. But this thing where you gotta pay somebody ten million dollars to go away, somebody's gotta change that. But it's but it's hard to hire a coach in today's where they all got these big time agents if you don't offer them that now. I mean, maybe you you hope you get the guy who's so confident that the bonus on winning is so good, he thinks I'm gonna tame that. But uh, whether Arkansas has the gumption to be the first one. The other story on, on Chad Morris that I'd like to know is, I mean, Wally Hall and everybody's blaming Julie Cromer Peoples, the assistant athletic director, for picking Chad Morris. That's baloney. I mean, there is no way male chauvinist Arkansas gave unilateral authority to an interim female AD to hire a football coach. No way in the world. Uh, and or, or the... Chancellor Steinmetz made the call solely. I mean, everybody thinks Chad Morris was recommended by Jerry Jones because of the Dallas connection. Uh, I haven't heard anybody deny that yet. And, and at this point, I guess it doesn't really matter, except except we're paying a big price for his bad judgment. Yeah. Okay, well, it's basketball season now. So. Well, all the all the radio show guys say this guy Musselman's the greatest thing ever. I mean, that he's going to be a winner and he's going to take us to the promised land. Until he doesn't. Yeah. Maybe he will. I don't know. Maybe he will. He, he got a he got a big commit the, the other day. No, they they think they're going to sweep up the big the big prospects from Arkansas. They think. And next year we'll have a seven three guy who can shoot from outside. So, yeah, so maybe you know fewer. fewer it takes fewer great guys to make a good basketball team. Much, much greater parity in basketball. Two or, three, two or three pretty good people and, and you got a Steve Shaw or something to back them up, you know. And I don't know who Steve Shaw is. Some of the kind of kind of the role players in the Eddie Sutton years, you should have been there. <laughs> so, Missed out. So, so tall, lanky, slow white guys, but you know, they can grab a rebound, throw the outlet pass, you know, that sort of Okay, well, There's never anything like the Eddie Sutton. Let me endorse Eddie Sutton. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, there you go. I love Eddie Sutton basketball and the triplets. I mean, the greatest single basketball game of all time was the Southwest Conference Tournament when Sidney Moncrief single-handedly brought Arkansas back from about a 16-point deficit to win, and that's when they only scored about 64 points a game. 
I mean, it was just nail biting every minute. And I was moving into my house, I was getting painted. And so I watched it at the oyster bar and I don't know, maybe had seven pitchers of beer. I don't know. <laughs> and the place was just full of people screaming and yelling, greatest sports event of my life. Wow. If uh, Chris Tanner can recreate that atmosphere as the new owner of the oyster bar, he'll have something going. Well, I'll, I'll just use that because I don't have anything else to endorse the new Oyster Bar, which is my neighborhood restaurant. Uh, I, I think it's great. Um, oh, good. They, they have. Been yet. They've got a little ways to go in terms of ambiance. I think they're still working on that, and the jukebox is gone, which is a real bummer. Surely they there's a the jukebox greatest, out they there. They have the greatest jukebox in town. Surely there's a jukebox they can find to, to bring that back because I know that's something that people miss. And they, they've never really had a kitchen, like a true kitchen. So there are plans to, to build one and to, to have a, a real deal oyster bar. So that will be good. I, I've heard that that's going to happen after Lent next year, which I guess is the end of their big season. However, Gulf oysters, are, it's a disaster. Yeah. There's a, there's a seafood disaster in the Gulf because all the flooding has washed all these nutrients into the water and the water's not as salty as it's supposed to be and the oysters are dying They're, i mean there's a the, for a while the acme oyster bar stopped serving oysters for a while oh wow i mean that's how bad it is just by the way uh i i've heard uh grumblings among some in the neighborhood that the prices are way too high and it's too fancy uh the prices are much higher the old oyster bar i had a soft spot for but it was not good I mean, it was fine, you know. I'd get a greasy chicken, spicy chicken po' boy. I, but, I ate raw oysters and boiled shrimp. Yeah. And they were both good. Yeah, I mean, there were some things you could find. But this is pretty uniformly good. Um, you well, know, Chris they're, is a good operator. They're using yeah. the right bread and everything. Well, they, uh, their bread was not, the old bread was not good. Or they upgraded their bread? Yeah, and, no, they used the correct, they're, the correct. They're bringing in Leidenheimer or somebody yeah, like that. It's, it's something like that, and... You know, good quality seafood and good sides. Yeah, check it out. Well, there's nothing like a good oyster loaf. If they have you tried that? Have you had any fried oysters sandwich yet? I have. It's quite good. I mean, that's to get it just right is hard, but it's one of the world's greatest foods. There's such, you know, fried oyster and a raw oyster. They're just like two totally different foods. Completely. Yep. Yep. Both good, but yep. totally different. Nobody does, uh, well, I forget what they call it in North, but like the mix and match, the shrimp and oyster together. I, I, that should be a thing. More. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's easy. Yeah. Just put some of each on there. Maddie still has the, the top po' boy spot in my heart in Little Rock, though. Oh, that's pretty good. H- hard to, to beat Maddie, especially for lunch. They got a great deal. All right, well, thanks for listening. Subscribe via your favorite podcasting platform, and we'll be back next week. See ya.